This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. The medieval German monk Thomas Akempis once wrote these words, the testimony of a good conscience is the glory of a good man. Have a good conscience and thou shalt ever have gladness. A good conscience may bear right many things and rejoices among adversaries. This still rings true today. Now, yeah, we, we know Jiminy Cricket, right, with his moral exhortation to Pinocchio to follow his conscience, though kind of faulty if we take that to its logical ends, still has some merit to it. How many of y'all have seen Pinocchio? Can I confess something to you? I've only seen like the first 15 minutes of it. Right? I just never, never got into that. But when we have a good conscience that is oriented toward God and his holiness and man's sinfulness and the great work of salvation wrought by Christ, we're on to something. How many of us struggle to keep our conscience in check? You may struggle to do that. Honestly, what is the conscience? There are many, or many philosophical and psychological definitions out there. And there are some out there that are really terrible, inspired by Disney. A lot of princess conscience, like, just follow your heart. No. But I want you to hear the words of another medieval scholar, Thomas Aquinas. He says this, conscience as a man's judgment of himself according to the judgment of God of him. That's powerful. I'm going to read that one more time. Conscience is a man's judgment of himself according to the judgment of God concerning him. Our conscience is our thoughts about ourselves stemming from our thoughts concerning God. Today we will be examining what we are to do when our conscience is on point and reassure us that we are sinners in need of a great Savior. By doing so, we're going to be able to look back on everything we've examined thus far in 1 John and kind of distill it down into three main ideas. So this morning, if you have your uh, Bible with you, would you turn in God's Word to 1 John 3, 19 through 24. 1 John 3. 19 through 24. God's word says this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Would it be clear to us, even to the youngest mind in here, would you peel back the thorns and the the thistles? Would you cause us to bear good fruit, keeping with repentance? Would your word do the work? Would you allow me to get out of the way? And would Christ be exalted? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Tests are hard. Let's just face the facts. I took a test yesterday in my Hunter's education class, and I lost at least 150 brain cells. We'll never get back. But I took it, and I did it. Tests are hard. Now, I know many people who back when I was in school had test anxiety. They were so afraid to fail that they would stay up all night studying, cramming, and they would make themselves sick to the point of throwing up. That was me. That was me. Others, maybe you were one. Rob, were you one of these? Just didn't care. Whatever. Test a test. Don't care. And you had what was kind of called test attention deficit disorder. TAD for short. Just didn't care. Ah, whatever. I don't care about tests. Well, this morning, I don't want you to have TAD. Don't be like Rob in high school. I can always pick on Rob because he's bigger than me. Right? I want you to care and care deeply. I want us to all care and care deeply about the self-examination that is 1 John. For those of you who have been with us throughout, I pray that 1 John has been useful for you and has continued to give you confidence, reassuring you in the Lord, even when you have been challenged by what God has written through John throughout our study. But in your caring, I don't want you to get test anxiety. I don't want your butterflies to bubble up and you feel like you've got to go to the bathroom. I can't do this. Uh, I don't want you to get that, especially with us being over halfway through the test. And I don't want you to start thinking, man, I've been examining myself. I believe this, but I feel like I'm failing. I'm probably just probably going to get an F, maybe a D plus. But beloved, he's been doing amazing this far. Don't let those emotions, don't let that anxiety overwhelm you. Don't let your conscience be pricked, especially when I tell you this. You ready? You're not going to get a 100% on this test. (gasps) Oh, 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 gosh. Pastor, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? I feel sick. What am I going to do? Oh, the humanity. Uh, Hold on. All right, here's the graham crackers and juice for your cat's testing, take a break, and a paper bag. (laughs) All right, calm down. It's okay. We're not called to have 4.0s here. The self-test of 1 John is not about getting a 100% to prove yourself or to everyone else that you're some sort of super Christian. You rip open your shirt with a big S, super Christian. All right, great. Like muscular beaver on Angry Beavers. That was always one of my favorite shows. No. It's not what the purpose of this test is about. In fact, if you come out the other side of this test with a sly smile, like, yeah, I smoked that thing. I'm going to get three stickers on this test when I get it back. That's how good I did. If that's you, you're missing the point of this self-test of 1 John, and you're probably going to get smoked by it on Judgment Day. The self-test of 1 John has at its core 
a call to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. And if we follow the rules John has given us so far, truthfully, truthfully follow them, we should all be able to say about any question we've examined, this right here. Yes, I believe this, or yes, I desire or am doing that. Not perfectly, but not perfectly. You see, here's the thing about 1 John as a self-test. This isn't an ace it and you move on. All right, I did it. Like my hunting class yesterday. Don't ever have to take that test again. I don't ever have to do it. I aced it and I moved on. 1 John is not like that. And it's also not an ace it or you're out test either. It's a test that you take over and over and over again. But here's the thing. Instead of the questions and answers changing each time like they would do to you back in school when you take the... I hated it, Rick, I'm sorry. I hated accelerated math and all that stuff. Uh, you bubble it in, you get them wrong, but they, they want you to try again, but they give you different questions. It's not like that. You have the answer key, and the questions are the same each and every time. Yet, even with that answer key, we will miscircle the wrong answer or misunderstand a question or just flat out skip one. We didn't see it at the bottom of the page when we should have. We have to take this test regularly. So today in our text, what must we do in our self-examination if we rightly conclude and rightly notice that we aren't doing so well? When our conscience reassures us of God's holiness and our sinfulness, what do we do? Do we give up? Do we give in? Mope around? Or do we give praise? Hmm. Let's look at to the questions and answer key this morning. 1 John 3, 19 says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and assure our heart before him. This verse right here, verse 19, is linked directly to the uh, verse preceding it, the this is talking about the truth. Here's 1 John 3, 18, just to keep us in context. Little children, my beloved, my dear ones, let us not love in word or talk, just saying that we're going to do it, but indeed, and in truth. So we are called to love our fellow Christians indeed, actually physically doing things for them, and in truth, meaning the standard of truth, the truth, God's standard, his word in his revealed will. But what happens if you're struggling with the truth of God's word in your life? Some of us can. I know I do even many times. You read something and it's a little abrasive, or you read something and you've got to kind of chew on it. How many of us have this and wonder what we are to do? Or, frankly, what happens when you sin and mess up and you know it? What do you do? Do you have to start all over on this test? Like one of those iPhone games or iPad games, you got to keep going. Like Snake, you all remember Snake, you old fogies, right? You play Snake and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then if you run into yourself, you got to start over, right? Is it like that? Is it like shoots and ladders where you're going along, but if you roll a bad turn, you hit that big one that all the way back to start? Is it like that? No, it's not. John says, so you who are struggling, to you who are wondering, which if we're honest, it's all of us. This is how we know the truth. 
This is how we know we are children of God. This is how we know we are forgiven. This is how we know God has given us new life. This is how our hearts are reassured of who we are before God. We are God's children now. Amen? Then you mess up. Your heart, your conscience, your inner man rightly says, hey, something's up here. Something's up. What are we to know, and then what are we to do? 1 John 3.20 For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Within the Old Testament, the heart primarily symbolizes the inner man. Hebrew doesn't have a, a word for conscience, but it doesn't have to have one because we still see the concept all over the scriptures, and we still have an oft-used idiom that conveys exactly the point. You know this one. If we're getting into an argument or we're really trying to figure out something, we say something to the effect of what? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the heart of the matter, the core, the central issue, the innermost part. See, the heart is also used in various contexts within the Old Testament for various things. In Psalm 22, for example, the psalmist says his heart is like wax which melts in his breast. The physical heart is meant to convey an ever-increasing discouragement. Ezekiel 36 in his new covenant vision speaks of God taking out that stony heart symbolizing deadness and giving his people a heart of flesh symbolizing life and vitality. When we come to John this morning, I want us to be aware of something. It can be easy to commit a logical fallacy known as illegitimate totality transfer. Okay, what's that mean? Simple. You make, every, the, you make the meaning, the possible meanings of a single word, the various meanings mean everything at once for that word. We do that sometimes accidentally. So some would read this passage of 1 John 3.20 and be distraught, kind of come out on the other side going, hold on. Why would my heart condemn me? Haven't I been given a heart of flesh? Isn't it my heart where the Holy Spirit lives? If my heart condemns me, it must be my heart is still of stone. I don't know what to do. Am I not? <laughs> right? We start taking all of these meanings up into this without context. Words used in Scripture and in our lives may have multiple meanings, and the context dictates those meanings. Here, we need to be aware of what John is saying and of the context. Dear listener, Dear listener, remember the purpose of 1 John. That's our context. It was a letter written to Christians. It was a letter to bolster encouragement and support. It was and is a letter meant for self-examination to spur you on in the faith. It's not primarily apologetic, meaning a defense of the faith, like maybe more so acts. It, it is that secondarily, but we must remember this that this is what it was. It was a letter for Christians to reassure them as we come to our encouraging passage this morning. And man, it is encouraging. Beloved, there will be times when we examine ourselves and our heart, our innermost man, conscience, condemns us, condemns us rightly. We examine ourselves according to the scriptures and with sobriety because we're walking in the truth. No, we are not doing things to the best of our ability or not at all or incorrectly. And our heart, our conscience confirms that we are a sinner deserving God's wrath. There'll be times that this happens. 
What are we to do then, dear Christian? Cower, get frustrated, whatever, I'll just start all over. Get frustrated and quit, mope, moan. Or do we stop and remember what John is about to tell us here in our text this morning? John exhorts us with just beaming encouragement that at first glance may seem out of place and confusing. Ready? When your heart condemns you, God is greater than our heart, number one. Number two, he knows all. John appeals to the power of God and the knowledge of God. How does this help? Isn't he supposed to give me like something practical? Oh, this helps in every single way. Christian, when you are convicted of sin, when you know you've messed up, when you see God sanctifying you and pruning the bad branches off of your life's tree, which has been grafted into the family tree of God, and your heart rightly condemns you saying, you're not acting like a child of God, be encouraged by the power and the knowledge of God. When your conscience isn't right, and your heart wants you to be a perfectionist, or swinging into the other ditch of, you could have done more, don't fret. That's part of it too. Be encouraged by the power and the knowledge of God. When our innermost being, our conscience, gets out of whack, and it will, we must affirm that we are not perfect, that we fail, that we fall short. And when our conscience is on point and tells us these things, we need to look back unto the power and knowledge of God. You see, our conscience is not the final judge of all actions, even our own. God is. He is greater than our heart. John is painting a court scene for us where we are the defendant and our heart is the prosecutor and God is the judge. And so many times the case is stacked against us. God has the final verdict. How often do we get discouraged by our shortcomings as Christians and begin to sulk? Begin to not want to care? Maybe even become obsessive? All of these are results of us relying on our own power and might and not upon the Lord who is greater, more powerful than us able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think, as Ephesians 3 says. And he is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think because he knows everything. Even when our hearts confirm to us that we aren't, I don't know, in prayer enough or in God's word enough, or we didn't say the right thing when we were trying to share the gospel with someone, or we didn't say the right thing to our husband or wife, or we were snappy, whatever. When our inner man, our conscience confirms to us that we could even do better, do you know what God desires you to remember? It is not about how perfectly you do the work. It's about your desired obedience unto him. It is not about how perfectly you do the work. It is about your desired obedience unto him. Because you know what your work is? Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. If God knows all, and the all is right there too, he knows what our works are like. Our best works, this is a little graphic, okay? But in the Hebrew here, a polluted garment, that, that's a menstrual pad. That's what your works are like. That's pretty gross. 
That's nasty. Our best works, the most righteous person who does the best works, our best works are, are only the least soiled one of those pads. But the least soiled rag, still soiled. What are we to do? I'm not taking the wind out of your sails. You think I am? I'm building you in this direction. What are we to do? Even as Christians, those who have been convicted of their sin, raised to life by the perfect work and life of our big brother Jesus, what are we to do when we know our best efforts will fall short? We remember this. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And we must know we still live in a fallen physical body which will be resurrected and restored fully on the last day. Many times our fallen bodies don't function correctly especially emotionally and mentally. We get distracted, right? We get stressed out. We overanalyze everything. and We misinterpret what our inner man is conveying to us and go off the left field. Dear listener, my beloved, if God knows all, if there is nothing that he does not know, then like a father looking in love at a child, you, dear children, like a father looking in love at a child who wants to be like their dad, he sees our intentions even when they aren't perfect because he knows he is growing us and disciplining us to be perfect. That's what we shall be one day. We shall be like him and see him as he is. Our Father looks at us and our anemic desires to be like Him and sees a frail sinner warming him or herself under the righteous robe of their big brother, the Son of God, Jesus the righteous, whose work is perfect, whose obedience is perfect, and has declared that all His work and obedience is ours. That's ours. That's what we warm ourselves with. That's what we're clothed with. When your conscience presses you, dear Christian, remember this analogy. What father, what father acts in anger toward a willing child who wants to help clean up the kitchen by yelling at them because they didn't put the forks up in the right spot? What loving father would do that? A true father sees the intent of the child and takes the time to lovingly correct with his power to move the fork where he knows it's supposed to go, showing the child how to do so in love and for their good. That's our Father. When our, thank you. Amen. When our heart condemns us, when we realize we didn't put the fork where it went, we remember the power of our Father and his knowledge. God understands us better than we understand us. And in his power and knowledge uses and knows our weak attempts and imperfect attempts, especially when they are from a heart who really desires allegiance to him. What a loving father. And so he calls us that. 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart condemns us, or I'm sorry, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, when we remember the power 
and the knowledge of God, seen not only in creation, his works of providence, but in the gospel of salvation that God powerfully knows and powerfully saves, we can have confidence that he will calm our inner man, not by condoning our sin or brushing it over, like, no, that's not a big deal, but having us remember our standing before him as he calls us even closer. Beloved, when you remember the power and the knowledge of God concerning your life lived towards him, those imperfections become awe-inspiring moments of praise because you realize that you can't fathom with your little eight-pound fallen brain how powerful he is to use your weak attempts of lackluster devotion. And you can't fathom how he can see past your imperfection to see the true seed of faith in your heart. And you can't fathom how powerfully that seed of faith is because it is a gift that he has given you that he will cultivate in your life all your days. That's how powerful he is. Beloved, beloved, remember Remember who you are. We sing the Jew doxology here. We're going to do that one soon again. Remember, Jesus brought you out of Egypt. It keeps telling us to remember. That's what the whole book of Jude is about. Remember so we don't get sucked into false teaching. Remember, he has saved you from your sins. Remember, remember him. When you remember him, you need to remember who you are too, dear beloved. You are a child of God. And children live in their father's house with him. They can confidently, joyfully, with excitement, live in fellowship with their father. Hello, that's you. Amen. Let me paint this picture for you using my eldest daughter, Nova, as an example. Nova, you're not in trouble, okay? It's an example. She plays and has a grand old time, all right? And she knows whenever she's done playing, she needs to clean up. This is a recurring theme at the house, honestly. She does. But she still hasn't figured out just exactly how to fold the blankets back up after making a blanket fort. Those were the days. Blanket forts. But she knows that she needs to. And she knows that she's trying her best. And she looks at it, corners all unaligned, one blanket honestly up in a wad because it's too big, Puts them over to the side. She thinks this. Good enough for right now. I know I need some help with this, though. She then comes and asks me for help. And says this. Daddy, hugging my hand along, I I cleaned up. I I know I still struggle with the blankets. Can you help me? As a father, I would look at her intentions, seeing the corners on a line, seeing the wadded blanket in a mess, but still seeing some of the great allegiance that she has done to clean up. And then I would encourage her, Sissy, you did a good job. Let's continue to work on this. Look, this is how we do it. Let's do it together. Look at this. And I would even help her if she didn't ask, continue to teach her and mature her. And that analogy... Nova had confidence to come ask for help because even though her inner man, her inner 
man, her conscience confirmed something wasn't exactly right. She reassured her heart about her standing before me as my child who I love and remembered the power and knowledge that I have to help with the blanket and also see her intentions. That is the Christian's confidence. That is your father, dear beloved. What a glorious God we serve. Thank you. Why do we so often cower in fear? Why do we so often walk around cold and calloused, not remembering this joyous love that God has given us so freely that we would be called children of God? And so we are. You've heard about this confidence before. You remember? 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him and shame at his coming. Obedience unto God gives us confidence for our future standing with him. Obedience to God is based in the Christians seeing the perfect example of obedience in Christ and knowing Christ has credited that obedience unto our accounts. And and like little kids with a pocket full of the hundreds and tens and pennies, we don't know the difference between the notes. We don't. We draw out the full deposit of Christ's righteousness for us and so often take the penny when we could take the hundred. I, I, I remember just a few weeks ago, the, the kids, they wanted to bring an offering unto the Lord. Okay, go get some money out of your little money jar. They just went, ran and grabbed stuff. They didn't look at what they were grabbing. And one of them grabbed a $2 bill. <laughs> Hold on, no, 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 we get, let's get something else. We just, we just grab it because we're so thankful that the Lord has credited all that to our account. And sometimes we just grab handfuls of things that we don't even know that we're grabbing. Beloved, what riches of grace he has lavished upon us. John wants us to realize our confidence. It's not only future-oriented. Look into that day that we will stand before him in confidence, then fully Uh, free from sin, and perfect as he is perfect, righteous, fully righteous as he is righteous, but that our confidence is present-oriented, that we stand before God boldly now, now. Boldly I approach my Father, clothed in Jesus' righteousness. We just sang that this morning. If we stand before God now with confidence, based upon the power of the work of his Son, who died for his brethren. And we stand before him with confidence based upon his knowledge of him seeing our salvation through to the end. What do you think that means for you? Fellowship. And what is included with fellowship? Communication. 1 John 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This isn't name it and claim it. This isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't bratty kids demanding things from God. I pray in Jesus' name, you're going to give me that raise. I pray in Jesus, COVID-19. Remember Kenneth Copeland, that stupid stuff? I blow the wind of God. Right? No, you don't have the power to do that. This is not what that means. There's a qualifier in this. The communication that we have with God in fellowship 
through prayer is spawned out of our love for his commandments. This is the child of God praying, communicating with God according to his will. When we pray the will of God be done with a heart full of the promises of God, knowing his power and his knowledge, his scriptures, whatever we ask, we do receive, even if we don't receive it. Wait, what? Think about this. If we fall short and God throughout our entire life is making us more like him, then we will undoubtedly not pray how we ought to pray. We will. We will pray really silly things. But when we are truly desiring to see his will done, even when we pray something really silly, Lord, please let the cats win. Please let that bucket go. Really? Or we pray something really emotionally charged. I wish you would just do something about so-and-so. Even when we do this, our heart says, hold on. If our desire truly be, but Father, above all things, would your will be done, then we truly do receive what we have asked of him. Lord, I, I need a vehicle. Mine's broken. I'd really like a new Toyota. I deserve it. But your will be done. And you don't get the Toyota. You don't get the brand new XSE Camry loaded out, all that stuff. Or for us who love vans, right? You don't get that. You get a beater Cavalier. But did you ask for his will to be done? And did he provide for you? Yes, he did. And that's exactly the point. Even when we pray things silly, sillily, when we pray things that how we should not, but we pray, Lord, your will be done. His will is going to be done because he is powerful. Remember the power and knowledge of God. When we understand that our communication, all fellowship has communication because all fellowship is relationship. When we understand that our communication with God in prayer is asking God to make us more like he is and understanding the, that fact expresses and works itself out through situations and experiences, we begin to see the power and knowledge of God in this way, that his will is going to be done effortlessly, I can't speak this morning, effortlessly, and that he will effortlessly cause us to see the power of it, that we would have knowledge. This should be of such great comfort to us that we have confidence to approach our Father, to stand before Him because we are children of God now and because of what the power of Christ has done for and in us and continues to do for us, in us, through us, for from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things, Romans eleven thirty six. When we pray His kingdom come and His will be done, it does, not because of us, but because he is causing it to happen and is calling us to reorient our lives to the powerful kingdom and to know it. Know there is a powerful king upon the throne of heaven and earth, earth, Jesus Christ, 
No, he is powerful to save even the worst of sinners. No, he is powerfully working everything for the good of those who love him. No, he will powerfully see you through to the end, knowing you along that way and causing you to know him. Know this confident assurance. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is ours. We can be confident before God, even in our anemic attempts. How can we, how can we know, dear beloved, we're desiring to be in fellowship with him? Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Remember the commandment, singular commandment, with two parts, that we believe in the name of Jesus and that we love one another. We believe in the name of Jesus, meaning we believe in everything that that name signifies, that the person behind it is exactly who he says he is, our Savior, the sinless shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep, the one who came to defeat sin and destroy the works of the devil, the righteous advocate who calls us home to our loving Father, the great judge who will cast all sin from his presence and restore our fallen world, our King who rules and reigns, our big brother who bought us with a price. We believe in this name when we repent of our sins and live in the power and the knowledge of his name. Yeah, how, how can we not burst out in like love towards God the same way that our kids burst out in love like there's a bounce house in there? How much greater do we have than they? And if they're in love towards God, then we will, we must have the proper love toward our fellow brothers. This is what John keeps reiterating. Here, you want your self-examination question for today? You get it at the end today. Here it is, big, bold letters. How do I know I stand before God in confidence, in truth, in fellowship with God, even when I fall short? How do I know I stand before God in confidence, in truth, in fellowship with God, even when I fall short? Answer, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Your desire to even desire, all right, inception time, your desire to even desire to be in fellowship with God, that's your proof that you stand before him like that. Your desire to keep his commandments in truth and in deed show that you are in the truth and of him. And if you are in him, he is in you, and you are displaying your new birth DNA, those new birth genetic birthmarks that we talked about. You, you displaying these traits is not by your power, not by your might, but because of the Holy Spirit who is causing you to bear fruit, to bear those new birthmarks. Paul in Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit, singular fruit of the Spirit, as evidence of the Spirit and the life of the child of God. And whether you realize it or not, that's one concept that John in this letter has been threading in a different way for us to see in these concepts, like when we break things down for little kids for them to understand. Listen to what another John says. John Stott. With this verse, verse 24, 
John unites the various strands which he has been unfolding separately in these first three chapters of his letter. No one may dare to claim that he lives in Christ and Christ in him unless he is obedient to the three fundamental commands which John has been expounding, which are what? Belief in Christ, love for the brothers, and moral righteousness. So if we would set our hearts at rest when they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working and particularly whether he is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's command and to love our brothers. For the condition of Christ dwelling in us and of our dwelling in him is this comprehensive obedience, the evidence of the indwelling, the gift of the Spirit. Beloved, my dear ones, keep pressing forward in your test with this knowledge. Remember the purpose of this test in 1 John. Remember the greater. Remember that he has called us to take this test with joy and with confidence, not with anxiety, because the purpose of our self-examination isn't condemnation, but confidence, and your confidence came through condemnation. Not by the condemnation of your heart, but the condemnation of Christ who was condemned to the death of a sinner in your place, though he was sinless, that he may restore you, awaken you, rebirth you in the truth, for the truth, and towards the truth, that he may give you a new heart that beats out the old blood throughout this life and melt that heart of wax with the flame of confidence in him shining out of you like a holy candle because he has shown his light unto you, beloved. My dear children, Repent and believe and do so with joyful confidence. May his kingdom come. May his will be done in your life and it shall, for he is powerful and knows all, powerful over our weak attempts and knowing our true heart. But remember this. This confidence does not give us a license to sin as if our Father will not care. He does. And the cost of that care is seen upon the cross. That's the cost of sin. That's the great exchange. That's your bankruptcy for you to have the pocket full of hundreds, tens, and pennies that you will increasingly come to understand how to use in this life, realizing it has been a fraction of the eternal inheritance that you have. How sobering is this? Yet, sobering towards confidence in the truth of his word. Believe it, then live it out. Know and do, word and deed. 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So it is written, so let it be done. With confident joy in truth, Go to your powerful father in prayer, knowing the great truths of his word and his love set upon you. This should change our prayer life completely. Hear the words of John Flavel, a great Puritan preacher, as you're closing. A quiet conscience never produced an unquiet conversation. God reassures your heart and gives you a quiet conscience says, you are my child, you shouldn't be able to shut up praising him and thanking him and going to him in prayer because of what he has done for us 
and what he continues to do. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray. Thank you.